Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I am Vipin Mahabir Singh. I'm the Managing Director of CDS Mauritius. And we are also a member of AMIDA, Africa and Middle East Depositories Association. Welcome to this webinar on tokenization organized by the Future of Finance in collaboration with AMIDA. The total market cap of securities token currently stands at around 15 billion US, if I'm not mistaken. This is still very small compared to the total market cap of global markets, which is around 117 trillion US. However, it is important for CSDs and other market players to have a good understanding of DLT, to be able to differentiate between the hype and the real value addition of this innovative technology. I think that for issuers and investors, the fundamental question that needs to be answered is whether it is more cost-effective to issue and trade securities in tokenized form than in book entry form. I think that there is not enough empirical evidence to support this at this stage, but things are definitely evolving. The main advantage of DLT is that it has the potential to eliminate intermediaries between issuers and investors. However, in most jurisdictions where digital assets are regulated, the legal and regulatory framework require that digital assets should be handled by licensed service providers only. And non-custodial wallets are not allowed because they do not meet AML CFT requirements. So it seems for the time being that the market structure is not really heading towards disintermediation. But then with the current market structure, personally, it is difficult to identify problems that cannot be solved by existing systems in a more cost-effective manner than DLT. For example, some of the benefits of using blockchain for security settlement, like having a golden source or addressing reconciliation issues, can be achieved by securities registered at beneficial owner level at the CSD. Similarly, with pre-funding, near real-time settlement can be achieved with existing system, but this is obviously not favored by investors because of asset commitment and other risks. Yet this is how DLT-based systems are achieving near real-time settlement. The necessary cash and securities must be reserved in the smart contract system before the execution of a trade. Now, that being said, DLT still has the potential to change the market structure by eliminating some intermediaries between issuers and investors. But for securities token to be issued and traded globally, the DLT systems must be scalable and interoperable. There are also cross-jurisdictional legal and regulatory issues that need to be addressed. So what could be the role of CSDs in the digital asset space? This is what we are going to learn from Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future Finance, and his panelists in this webinar. I would also encourage our participants to ask questions after the presentation and the panel discussion. So over to you, Dominic. Uh, thank you, Vipin. Uh, I'd only add to, to your opening remarks to say thank you to uh, Amida for co-hosting today with us. 
uh, and also to thank our sponsor, um, Percival and Chris Richardson in particular, uh, for making today's discussion possible. I'll begin with a story. Uh, in 1997, Steve Jobs famously returned to Apple, the company he had founded 20 years earlier. The company was on the brink of bankruptcy, its market share was falling, its innovations were failing. Asked what he'd do to save the company, Jobs gave an answer worthy of Cho Enlai's assessment of the French Revolution. I'm going, he said, to wait for the next big thing. Now, the next big thing turned out to be uh, not this shiny uh, new Apple Mac he's holding in this photograph, uh, but this, the uh, iPod, which evolved, as we know, into the first smartphone, the iPhone. The corporations that in 2007 dominated the music industry, that's Polygram, Universal, Sony, the mobile telephone industry, uh, Nokia, BlackBerry, and indeed the computer industry, Microsoft and Compaq, all failed, uh, unlike Steve Jobs, to anticipate the next big thing. But then most organizations are not set up to do that. They have annual budget cycles, cost-cutting programs, and a deeply ingrained tendency to assume that next year will be the same as this year, plus 5%. What Steve Jobs did instead was notice a change in the music industry caused by the internet plus the MP3 file format. And he didn't just notice it, it uh, he exploited it with great skill and speed and determination. Now, I don't know whether blockchain represents a comparable change in the technological environment of the securities industry, but I do know that it is a development that central securities depositories would be unwise to ignore. At present, the securities value chain works by moving data between different systems operated by the various intermediaries, exchanges, brokers, asset managers, asset owners, custodian banks, central counterparty clearinghouses, order matching utilities, and of course, CSDs. And CSDs play a crucial role at several points in the chain in issuance, confirmation, settlement, registration, custody, asset servicing, securities lending, collateral management. In tokenized securities markets, it's not data that moves, but the assets themselves, from the digital wallet of the issuer to the digital wallet of the investor, from the digital wallet of the seller to the digital wallet of the buyer, from the digital wallet of the lender to the digital wallet of the borrower. Tokenized cash against tokenized securities. Each transaction updating the register automatically as it settles, while the smart contracts embedded in the assets themselves automate the servicing of the assets. So all these functions, issuance, confirmation, settlement, registration, custody, asset servicing, securities lending, collateral management, all are gone. The occupation of the CSDs is gone. Now, if this happens, there are three possible outcomes for CSDs. The first is that tokenization disintermediates the CSDs, as Vipin mentioned. There's literally nothing useful left for them to do. The second possibility is that CSDs are disrupted. They find a new role or roles to play. There is a third possibility. This is that the CSDs become the arbiters of the development of the tokenized securities markets. In other words, tokenization will not destroy the CSDs, but rejuvenate them. And I'll come back to this possibility later. 
A more immediate question, and this is something Vipin also raised, is why bother to do anything at all? Because as he pointed out, at the moment the securities token markets are extremely small. In fact, they're so small, we don't even know how small they are. There's no reliable source of data for something which matters as little as security tokens do. Bipin mentioned 15 billion. Uh, my guess is that the total value of all security token issues outstanding today is maybe 50 billion, and that's a very generous estimate. It still means that the combined value of the conventional equity bond and funds markets of today is more than 6,000 times as high. Even the cryptocurrency markets after their recent falls are still uh, 40 times more valuable. Then, as Vipin also mentioned, there are the shortcomings of the blockchain technology itself. It's not fast, it's not scalable, and it's not private. No wonder even those financial institutions most enthusiastic about making use of the technology have had to keep much of the work and most of the data off the blockchain itself. Now that suits regulated institutions which prefer closed networks and data confidentiality. And would regulators want anything else anyway? Here in Europe, the regulators insist that tokens are issued into CSDs, they insist that they're settled in CSDs, and they insist that any CSD that doesn't want to do those things must stay rather small. So there are good reasons for doing nothing. The token market is tiny, the technology is primitive, and the regulated institutions and the regulators will in all likelihood protect you. But doing nothing is almost certainly a mistake. After all, if tokenization takes off, it could disintermediate the CSDs that do nothing but it could also transform the fortunes of the CSDs which do something. On a global scale, if tokenization took just a 5% share of that 300 trillion US dollars invested in the global bond, equity and fund markets, it would be a 15 trillion US dollar market. So CSDs should definitely have a bias to action. The question is what action to take. The second question is when to act. Now in practice, these two questions are inseparable. To act is to do. The questions when and what are also unanswerable because the future is unknowable. The future always is. But there is a way of thinking about it. This is to divide the future into the short term, the medium term and the long, and to take action not precipitously, but incrementally. In the short term, say five years out to 2027, do the minimum, build a prototype, issue tokens onto it, see if they can be settled and safe kept on and off a blockchain. By the medium term, say to 10 years out, 2032, the environment is likely to be getting less comfortable. The volume of security tokens is likely to have grown significantly. Legal and regulatory frameworks will have adapted to tokenization. Tokens will be trading alongside conventional securities and most new issues will be in tokenized form. What to do then? buy or build the capability to service token issuers and investors alongside conventional security issuers and investors and enable them to switch between the different networks. Interoperability, as Vipin mentioned. In the long term, say 15, 20 years out, 2037, 2042, the transition to tokenized forms of uh, issuing and investing is likely to be substantially complete. New issues will all, or pretty much all, be in tokenized form. At that point, the successful CSD will probably have built or bought a fully integrated tokenization platform that allows tokens to be issued, traded, settled, and safe kept as parts of a single digital process. Now, incremental investment of this kind contains the cost, contains the risk, 
If tokenization fails to happen, as it might, investment can be switched off as soon as that becomes obvious. Incremental investment, in other words, is a low cost way of hedging the risk that the security token markets will take off. What do we even mean by security tokens? In principle, any asset is capable of being tokenized. There are a dozen separate asset classes on this chart, and between them, they add up to more than 425 trillion US dollars. Not just securities and funds, uh, but real estate, oil, infrastructure, diamonds, gold, wheat. We could add fine art, fine wines, classic cars, wristwatches. All of those assets are being tokenized already. The 40 billion US dollars that has gone into the non-fungible token uh, market is just one example of what's happening. Now, I know it's tempting to see NFTs as a latter-day equivalent of tulip mania, a festival of money laundering, another way for professional traders to separate the gullible from their cash. And the NFT market is all of those things. But look also at what NFTs are pioneering. Asset class expansion, transferability, distribution of entitlements, network building, cross-selling opportunities, royalties payable to the originators of works of art. All of those things point to a market whose growth can be sustained. And the principal opportunity here for CSDs is the provision of secure digital wallets to holders of NFTs and other asset-backed tokens. At least one CSD, that's the NSD in Russia, has experimented already with tokenized grain warehouse receipts. Another, that's Clearstream, is developing a service to support the tokenization of fine art. Now, both those markets are nascent at best, but history shows that new financial markets can scale astonishingly quickly. Today, the mortgage-backed securities market in the United States has more than $12 trillion in bonds outstanding. The average trading volume is nearly $300 billion a day. And in 1970, that market did not exist at all. Or take money market funds. First money market fund wasn't invented until 1971, yet today money market funds have total holdings of more than $5 trillion just in the United States. Or take index funds. These two were invented in the 1970s. They got nowhere for 20 years. Today they account for more than a fifth of global assets under management or 22 trillion US dollars. And when the International Security Services Association surveyed asset managers and asset owners last year, it concluded portfolio allocations to digital assets, as they called them, would hit one to 2% in the next year or two. Now that doesn't sound like much, but the global asset management industry is running 103 trillion US dollars in assets under management and one to 2% of that is one to $2 trillion. As the security token market grew as it might, at say 35% a year over the next 20 years, it will be a 20 trillion market by 2042. And that represents a serious risk for CSDs that choose to do nothing. Why? Because somebody has to do the work of supporting that 20 trillion US dollars. And if it's not CSDs, it will be somebody else. Competitors are emerging already. Our latest count at Future of Finance found more than 80 entities looking to provide custody services to institutional investors. An incredibly complex ecosystem, characterized increasingly by mergers and acquisitions and partnerships, is evolving. There are dozens of digital wallet providers. There are dozens of digital custody technology vendors. Cryptocurrency exchanges, such as Coinbase, provide regulated independent custody services. Token exchanges are already working with independent custodian banks to safe keep uninvested cash. 
One of them, Archex, the regulated cryptocurrency and token exchange in London, is actually building its own regulated CSD to enable security tokens to be registered and settled. Two other CSDs, that's SDX in Switzerland and Clearstream in Frankfurt, have built token CSDs. Why? Because no existing CSD is able to provide security token services. And this is the risk. Specialist CSDs become entrenched before established CSDs are able to respond. The opportunity for CSDs to support the growth of the security token markets will be lost. They will simply be bypassed. And if security token markets are about to grow as well they might, the securities markets are not. Publicly tradable equities are shrinking. The OECD estimated in June 2021 that since 2005, 30,000 companies had delisted from stock exchanges around the world. That number is equivalent to three quarters of all stocks still listed today. And those losses are not being offset by new listings. For CSDs, whose core business is to issue, register, settle, and safe keep publicly tradable securities, that is what you call an adverse secular trend. CSDs could find themselves being squeezed between the shrinking traditional revenues on the one hand and a failure to seize security token opportunities and revenues on the other. And it gets worse. Tokenization is going to squeeze the revenues of the customers of the customers of the CSDs, by which I mean the buy side. At ISSA survey of asset managers and asset owners last year, it found one in seven was investing in security tokens already, and up to two in five expected to do so within two years. Why? Was it to diversify their portfolios? No, it was to lower their costs. And that is what will put the most important customers of the CSDs, namely the custodian banks, under pressure. Our custodians also work with issuers as well, and issuers too want to tokenize to cut the cost of raising capital. Where will those lower costs come from? From the automation of the work of the entities that stand between issuers and investors, or what is known as disintermediation, the term which Vipin used. In securities, the intermediaries at risk include investment banks that structure issues, lawyers that draft documents, exchanges that list securities, paying agents that distribute entitlements, broker dealers that broke and trade securities, clearing brokers, clearing houses, custodian banks, and of course, CSDs. And the funds markets, intermediaries at risk include transfer agents and order routing networks. Now, of course, practice may diverge from theory, both surveys and anecdotal evidence indicate investors value intermediaries and especially independent custodians and CSDs to safe keep and service their tokens. And it's not as if CSDs and custodian banks charge a lot in the first place. The room for economies in that particular area is small. But even if nobody in this value chain is actually disintermediated in the short term, tokenization will still squeeze the profitability of all intermediaries. Finance is a business that enjoys margins that are two to four times as fat as the economy-wide average. And to maintain those margins, finance is going to have to raise its productivity. There's only one way to raise productivity, that is by investment and by innovation. And at forward-looking CSDs, this is now happening. At ISSA survey of the sell side and the buy side last year, it found the number of respondents exploring blockchain-based applications had tripled since the previous year, the number with live applications had doubled and the value of the resources deployed were up by one third. 
Look at the four asset classes on the right-hand side of this chart. Asset managers and asset owners are investing in the tokenization of equities, mutual funds, and bonds in that order. Now, service providers, which included CSDs, are investing in the tokenization of fixed income, equities, unlisted securities, and mutual funds in that order. There is this mismatch. It's an interesting one in unlisted securities, but otherwise the buy and the sell side are almost perfectly matched. In other words, token investments are already aiming at the core businesses of the average CSD, equities, fixed income, and funds. Take equities. Equities pioneered tokenization. The initial coin offering boom of 2017, 2018 was not really about coins at all. More than 19 billion US dollars was raised in just two years in the form of tokenized equity to build platforms, business services, software, and banking applications. The ICO boom has in effect continued in the decentralized or DeFi markets, which are currently worth 60 billion US dollars, but have ranged as high as 100 billion. However, ICOs and DeFi have proved unhelpful in encouraging equity tokenization. Many ICOs were outright scams, the money was stolen by insiders or by hackers, and regulators rightly deemed them to be issues not of coins, but of securities. DeFi today remains a retail market characterized by a mixture of obscurity, opacity, and volatility. The experiments going on are undeniably interesting, and will, I am convinced, one day prove useful. But mainstream institutional issuers and investors are not going to touch DeFi until it can offer much higher standards in terms of counterparty due diligence, safe custody, and cybersecurity. KYC checks, safe custody, cybersecurity, these are precisely the benefits that CSDs can bring to the DeFi markets. After all, institutional money is at present proving reluctant to invest even in equity tokens that are issued onto regulated exchanges. In fact, it says everything about the current state of the equity token markets at the biggest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, which has an eye on the token markets, Coinbase, was so unconvinced of the value of equity tokens that it operated in April last year to list its own shares, not on a token exchange, but on NASDAQ via a conventional IPO. That said, it would be foolish for CSDs to relax. Regulated token exchanges are proliferating. The SEC has approved a public offering of an equity token. So equity tokens are not not happening. But as the Coinbase case proved, there is no good reason yet for issuers to believe that equity tokens are a better option than the conventional equity markets. The current opportunity in equities, as I mentioned or alluded to a minute ago, probably lies in unlisted shares. The pink sheets market in the United States, for example, is extremely large. It turns over $200 billion a year. But the market is also notoriously opaque and illiquid and stock prices are heavily manipulated. Tokenization could fix that. And the respondents to the ISSA survey certainly think so. Unlisted securities are a priority for 45% of the security services industry respondents. Unfortunately, as this chart also shows, asset managers were a lot less enthusiastic, probably because they, or at least their underlying institutional clients, are not able to buy unlisted securities. But that is precisely the sort of barrier which tokenization, by providing unlisted securities in regulated, tradable, liquid form, can clear. That said, a lack of interest at this point in equity tokenization on the buy side is undeniably a problem. In the short term, it's probably safer to assume that equities will not tokenize as fast or on such a scale 
as bonds. The global bond markets are big, 123 and a half trillion US dollars. They're heavily intermediated by CSDs, as well as investment banks and custodian banks and paying agents, and they're inefficient, especially in the primary market where this horde of well-funded fintechs is gathering to wean the industry off spreadsheets and email. Experiments have proved that issuing bonds onto blockchains works. A succession of tests going back to 2017 have proved blockchain-based bonds can work for benchmark sovereign and supranational issues, governments, corporates, asset-backed issuers, especially the new class of green bond issues and even bonds denominated in cryptocurrencies. Only high yield or junk bonds have yet to succumb. So tokenization works in the bond markets. Secondly, tokenization boosts liquidity in the bond markets. Bonds, or at least corporate bonds, which are mostly bought and held to maturity, tend to be illiquid, even when monetary policies are not as distorted as they are today. Tokenization can fix that by breaking bonds into smaller ticket sizes, attracting more retail investors, and by attracting more retail investors, tokenization will attract more issuers. More issuers and more investors means more liquidity. And a number of secondary market trading platforms, such as ADEX and MarketNode in Singapore and SDX in Switzerland, have been set up precisely to exploit that possibility. Thirdly, bond servicing can be automated. Bonds are relatively simple for the most part, with fixed coupon payments, fixed redemption schedules, so it's easy to write their terms into smart contracts embedded in the bond tokens. One study estimated that automation of bond servicing by tokenization would save the global bond markets $100 billion a year in security services fees and another 100 to 150 billion in technology maintenance and operating costs. Fourthly, tokenization can transform the issuance process. The primary market, as I mentioned a while ago, has become the focus of a number of uh, fintech startups. It's because the corporate bond issuance process is extremely inefficient. Investment banks which structure and price and syndicate bond issues to other banks and buy-said firms still manage that process by telephone, email, chat rooms, spreadsheets, and even faxes. One fintech in London found after running a pilot with a group of major underwriting banks, the blockchain eliminated 93% of the time spent on price indications alone. And the more complex the bonds, the greater the savings. A study by HSBC of issuing a $100 million green bond, for example, found they totaled six and a half million US dollars, six and a half percent. Tokenization would cut those costs by nearly 90% to just $692,000. Fifthly, what drives liquidity in the bond markets is the repo market, because it's bonds that banks use as collateral to fund themselves and take as collateral to fund others. So they're always lending and borrowing them in the repo market. But the repo market is not efficient and least efficient of all on a global scale. All over the planet, banks hold enormous buffers of bonds as well as cash at custodians and CSDs to ensure they can meet their obligations when they need to. And they have to do that because it's very hard to use a bond in one jurisdiction as collateral for a loan in another. It's estimated the excess liquidity held by the tier one banks alone is worth 3.65 trillion euros. And it costs those banks 0.1% of that sum or nearly 4, trillion, nearly 4 billion dollars a year to maintain it. That obviously provides the banks with a massive financial incentive to find a solution. And here in Europe, HQLAX, a blockchain-based consortium of banks funded by Clearstream, believes tokenization is that solution. Tokenization means the excess inventory held at custodians and CSGs can be used without the bonds ever needing to leave 
the custodian or the CSD. Instead, they can move between buyers and sellers with full legal title in tokenized form across a blockchain network. In other words, being in the securities business will cost less. Now, when it's asked its members last year to name their blockchain priorities, half of them mentioned repo and 40% of them were doing something about it. A survey by the official monetary and financial institutions forum, OMFIF, of 21 sovereign supranational government agency bond issuers found every single one of them expected the bond markets to be tokenized within five years. One benchmark issuer, the European Investment Bank, expects all of its 100 billion euros a year of borrowing in the bond markets to be tokenized within those five years. That same uh, ISSA survey found fixed income was the most popular blockchain project among financial uh, market infrastructures. And when it came to projects which are actually live, securities issuance was top of the list. And securities financing and collateral management were not far behind. Mutual funds, they're another early candidate for tokenization. As you can see on this chart, asset managers and asset owners are even more excited by the idea than the securities services industry. And that makes sense. Asset management is a business under severe margin pressure. It needs to cut costs and sell more funds to more investors. And tokenization provides a path for doing both of those things. Funds also have properties that make tokenization appealing. Too many costly intermediaries and a principle-based redemption model. Fund tokens would instead permit secondary markets in fund shares to develop, allowing investors to sell their holdings rather than redeem them with the asset manager giving the asset manager a more stable set of assets to manage. And in Europe, the big brand asset managers are sufficiently intrigued by the potential cost savings to fund the efforts of fund tokenization fintechs in both London, that's fund admin chain, and in Luxembourg, that's funds DLT, where our friends at Clearstream are involved. In Singapore, alternative fund managers are already using the ADEX token exchange to tokenize funds which makes it an obvious path for any CSD that services funds to follow. And it doesn't stop at mutual funds either. ADEX has reduced ticket sizes in a private equity fund from 125,000 US dollars to 10,000, in a real estate fund from 1 million euros to 20,000 euros, and in a hedge fund from 5 million US dollars to just 20,000 US dollars. In other words, they're making these hitherto institution only asset classes available to a smaller I was about to say retail, but certainly to less wealthy investors. And it's worth noting that one of the asset classes ADEX is tokenizing also happens to be the biggest asset class in the world, the $326.5 trillion real estate market. Today, CSDs have pretty much none of that market, and they won't get any of it if they rely on the tokenization of individual buildings. CSDs are not obviously credible as service providers to tokenize buildings. Even Deutsche Börse, which has identified real estate tokenization as a major opportunity for its 360X token venture, has joined forces with a specialist called Tektrex to issue and trade tokenized securities based on real estate cash flows. Where every CSD is credible is as a service provider to real estate funds, and the growth potential of tokenized real estate funds is massive, partly because of the sheer size of the asset class and partly because most real estate is owned and managed privately. And privately managed assets are a market in which tokenization will almost certainly have a great deal of success in the immediate future. They're a market which has a particular appeal to CSDs. 
Private equity funds are already using CSDs as registrars, what the industry calls rather grandly cap table management, but there is uh, an even bigger opportunity for CSDs than that. Remember those 30,000 companies that have delisted since 2005, where do they all go? Into private ownership, of course. Private fundraising has increased every year since the financial crisis of 2007-8, except the year of the, the peak year of the global pandemic, and even then it was pretty healthy. There is a very simple reason why this is happening. Institutional money is going private because the returns are higher. According to McKinsey, the net asset value of private equity funds has grown faster than the market capitalization of public equities every year since the great financial crisis. Today, McKinsey estimates the value of assets managed by private equity firms at 6.3 trillion US dollars. Note also how valuable private debt has become, 1.1 trillion. Under the monetary policies that central banks have pursued since 2009, it has become extremely difficult for mainstream banks to maintain margins in lending, which is why private lending is the only privately managed asset class to have increased its funding every year since 2011. Privately managed assets as a whole are now worth 9.8 trillion US dollars, nearly twice the size they were just five years ago. That is a lot of money, but it is not liquid. Tokenization offers a way to make it liquid. That is precisely the strategy being pursued by some token exchanges. Is it also a custody opportunity for CSDs? Yes. Exchanges do not necessarily protect customer cash deposits. Best, they will use segregated accounts at independent custodian banks to safe keep uninvested cash. But they almost all tend to hold tokens on behalf of investors on their private blockchains from which they cannot be transferred. Are those arrangements that institutional investors used to independent custody and to treating their custodian bank as an insurance policy are going to be comfortable with? Probably not. The CSD can persuade investors that it offers a safer alternative to the issuance, settlement and custody of tokens on private or public blockchains or token exchanges. Privately managed assets could become a very substantial new source of revenue for CSDs indeed. The DTCC in the United States has already identified privately managed assets as a major new business opportunity. Its proposed digital securities or DSM platform aims to provide an issuance, distribution, trading and settlement platform for privately managed assets in both traditional and tokenized forms. In effect, DSM will help custodian banks hold tokens on behalf of clients at the DTCC, just as they hold conventional securities on behalf of clients at DTCC today. In Switzerland, STX has just announced a similar arrangement with Daura, an equity tokenization platform for private companies in Switzerland. Privately managed assets are a clear opportunity for CSDs. But which asset class will tokenize first is going to vary country by country. A country has a large privately managed asset sector or a large real estate sector or a large mutual fund sector. Naturally, it should focus its efforts there. But think also about the obstacles to tokenization and VIPIN raised these as well. There are two big ones to my way of thinking. The first is regulatory. Issuers want to issue tokens that are fully regulated and institutional investors will buy only those tokens which are fully regulated. And here we confront something of a paradox. We know that security tokens are regulated because security tokens are securities and securities are regulated. Yet regulatory uncertainty persists. Why? because in common law jurisdictions like the United Kingdom, the United States, tokens have yet to be defined by a body of case law. 
And in civil law jurisdictions, even those where the government has actually passed specific token legislation, obligations to comply with other securities market regulations persist. In both common law and civil law jurisdictions, the regulations that give life to tokenization are not yet completely clear. Now, in a recent poll here at Future of Finance, we found regulatory uncertainty to be the biggest inhibitor of all. Both regulated and unregulated entities fear the lack of clarity will cause inadvertent breaches of the regulations, leading to regulatory fines and loss of reputation. And until that uncertainty disappears, tokens are going to struggle to take off. The second barrier to take off is a structural one. This is the lack of fiat currency on token networks. Security transactions, as we all know, settled by delivery of securities against cash payment. And at the moment, cash payment has to take place either off the blockchain network or in some ersatz form of cash, a payment token. The most popular form of payment token at present is the stable coin, whose value is ideally uh, tied to a token of equivalent amount of cash off the chain. Even before recent events, the fact that this is not always the case uh, was a major inhibitor to institutional use of stable coins. Both the United States and the United Kingdom government are now bringing stable coins within the purview of regulation, so attitudes may change. But stable coins will always be second best to true central bank money, which is why many people believe the key to unlocking growth in security tokens is central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. CBDCs could put central bank money onto blockchain networks. That would drastically reduce settlement risk by making atomic settlement possible, albeit by requiring counterparties to maintain higher levels of liquidity, ironically a problem uh, which tokenization could also solve as HQLAX is uh, finding out. Several jurisdictions have issued CBDCs already. Bank of England, the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank are considering the idea. The Atlantic Council CBDC tracker records 80 live CBDC projects around the world. Settlement of securities transactions has emerged as a major use case for so-called wholesale CBDCs, where the CBDC remains within the banking system. One major driver for adoption of wholesale CBDCs is the need to cut the cost of settling trades across national borders. Banks are under severe pressure from regulators led by the G20 to cut the costs and increase the speed and transparency of cross-border payments. Multiple experiments in which central banks have led groups of banks and vendors have now proved that CBDCs can settle security trades both domestically and across national borders, cheaper, faster, and more transparently than existing systems. Project Jura, which closed just before Christmas, has definitively made the case for using CBDCs to cut cross-border settlement costs. Project Dunbar has proposed a common CBDC platform to make that possible. This type of thinking is happening now, even on the retail side. Project Nexus, led by the BIS, wants to link national instant payment systems across national borders. The survival of the correspondent banks looks increasingly improbable. This has created an opportunity for CSDs to take ownership of the settlement of securities transactions, both at home and across national borders, in central bank money in the form of CBDCs. But the most important thing about CBDCs is what I mentioned a moment ago. By putting central bank money onto blockchain networks, CBDCs might well turn out to be the spark that ignites the security token markets into a period of dramatic growth. For CSDs, that means the introduction of a CBDC by one or more of the major central banks, 
by which I mean the Federal Reserve, Bank of England, European Central Bank, that should rank as the starting gun for the activation of plans to support the rise of tokenized securities. The question is what plans? What should a CSD actually be doing about tokenization right now? One place to look for guidance is what other exchanges and CSDs are doing. At ASX, the replacement for its chess clearing and settlement system has been delayed four times and it may yet be delayed again. In my opinion, the most important lesson is not the difficulties with the technology, so you can't make your users change their systems. It has to be easy for them to adopt tokenization technology. At Clearstream, they've spread their bets. They built a digital CSD. They've launched ventures in fine art and real estate. They're also alive to delivering value now, notably in the case of HQLAX, and they clearly believe in partnerships, not just in collateral, but in funds and real estate as well. The DCV in Chile is focused on fixed income, the biggest asset class in their market, and indeed the biggest security market in the world. Their secret is phasing, an incremental approach that contains the costs and the risks. DDCC, as I mentioned, is sticking to its strengths of infrastructure, but in a new asset class, uh, privately managed assets. Yes, uh, we need to understand why ID2S, the first blockchain-based CSD, failed. It was certainly not the technology that worked perfectly. It was the market, and the regulations, and the incumbents using the regulations to protect themselves. KDPW in Poland is doing something very interesting, uh, to which I will return briefly at the end. This is to build a blockchain infrastructure for which the first use case is proxy voting. NSD in Russia did a lot of very interesting experiments early on. The real lesson from their work is that technology does not in and of itself create liquidity. Straight in South Africa also sees part, uh, value in partnerships, uh, initially with CSD, but latterly also with NASDAQ. Now, of course, many CSDs, uh, including uh, ASX and Clearstream for that matter, belong to stock exchange groups. In fact, stock exchanges are the biggest single group of owners of CSDs worldwide, which opens up lots of tokenization opportunities on the pre-trade and trading sides of the securities industry as well as the post-trade side. Three Caribbean exchanges, Barbados, Eastern Caribbean, and Jamaica are building integrated tokenization platforms. And in all three cases, it's part of a wider digitalization strategy that encompasses a CBDC, and at least one case, the metaverse. In Jamaica, interestingly, the CSD has retained control of clearing settlement and custody. In Canada, the CSE sees tokenization as a logical extension of its promise to cut the cost of capital for smaller companies. Hong Kong is using blockchain to address the Stock Connect settlement timetable mismatch problem, good example of creating value immediately. The most interesting case is, uh, is the Swiss Stock Exchange, which has built a fully integrated issuance, trading, settlement, and custody platform that replicates its traditional exchange, clearinghouse, and CSD. Wisely, it's offering issuers and investors the choice of using securities or security tokens. That recognizes the transition to a tokenized future will take time and experience and will not be a neat, self-contained process. But the most interesting thing about SDX is why the exchange has made such a large investment. It did it because it figured that the most successful cryptocurrency exchanges, the Coinbase's and the FTX's, had a lot of money. They had bags of useful experience in the cryptocurrency markets, and they were bound to opt to get regulated and enter the securities industry. So what SDX is doing is a defensive move, as well as an offensive move. And its logic has been proved right. 
So far at Future of Finance, we've identified 22 token exchanges around the world, which have secured regulatory licenses, including, of course, SDX itself, which is regulated by the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, Finmar, Archax in London, which is regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, ADEX in Singapore, which is regulated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, INX in the United States, which is regulated by both FINRA and the SEC. And the SEC recently approved the blockchain-based equity trading platform, BSTX, as a national securities exchange, which is its highest level of approval for exchanges. So SDX was right to anticipate regulated competition for the securities business, and CSD should be monitoring developments on the issuance and trading side of the token industry extremely closely. But don't just look at CSDs and exchanges, look at your users too. The most important of these are the custodian banks. Five of them, to my knowledge, are supplying or planning to supply cryptocurrency custody services. Why are they doing that? They're doing it because their asset owner and asset manager clients want them to. Note that they're starting with cryptocurrency, not security tokens, and that they're using specialist partners such as Fireblocks and Copper. It's a classic strategy, buy, uh, not build, to support business which exists now and not at some indeterminate point in the future. That enables them to contain the cost of their commitment. Now, Fireblocks and Copper are only two of dozens of specialist crypto custody uh, service and technology vendors. As I said earlier, at Future of Finance, we've counted more than 80 of them around the world now, and that is not just these fintech startups, but private banks such as BBVA in Switzerland, Mason Private Bank in Liechtenstein, and federally and state chartered banks in the United States, such as Anchorage and Signature. So the option is there for CSDs to follow the example of the custodian banks and buy the capabilities they need to support tokenized securities. And it's one every CSD must take seriously. As I've said more than once, there is a risk that as these new services grow, the safekeeping and servicing of security tokens will migrate away from the CSDs to the custodian banks, the specialist vendors, and indeed the new breed of specialist CSDs, such as SDX, Archax, Mondix, Montis, and D7 at Clearstream. And that is the first of 10 lessons I'd like to share with you in closing this presentation. Do something or risk being bypassed. It's extraordinary that token exchanges are now building CSDs of their own to develop services CSDs should be supplying already. Secondly, don't simply copy what others are doing. Of course, it's uh, reassuring to know that other members of the security services industry are investing in tokenization, proofs of concept, pilot tests, and live services. It helps to normalize the concept among your managers, among your employees, among your users and your shareholders, and to dispel any confusion between tokens and cryptocurrencies. But there is no single or common pattern to the way CSDs, exchanges, and custodians are approaching the threat and opportunity of tokenization. And that is lesson number two. Every CSD is unique. Each inhabits its own jurisdiction, runs operations to comply with specifically local requirements, delivers different services to dissimilar customers peculiar to its own market, and faces its own combination of threats and opportunities in its domestic market. So don't simply copy what others are doing. The third lesson is to minimize the impact of change on users. Users will be reluctant to invest in change if existing systems work well enough. So don't make them throw those systems away. Fourthly, 
Focus on immediate value to users. Projects likely to deliver immediate value to your users are more likely to get their support. Fifthly, invest incrementally to contain the risk. Link your investments in new services to the likely evolution of the market and the length of the transition to a tokenized marketplace. Sixthly, always choose regulated status. That is what will bring the institutions in. Work with the regulators. Emphasize to potential users the regulated status of services. Seventhly, watch what regulators and central banks do. Ultimately, regulators exist to protect retail investors and to preserve financial stability. But at the same time, they do not wish to discourage innovations that might increase capital market efficiency and output. And tokenization could be just such an innovation. I've already mentioned how I think a CBDC could spark a tokenization boom. And if your central bank is strongly motivated to issue a CBDC, it's likely to act as a catalyst in the growth of tokenized markets. So monitoring the progress of a national CBDC is therefore an essential duty of any, C any CSD. But that's not all. If the government introduced a digital identity scheme, that too could be a trigger for tokenization to take off because digital identities, imagine the linking of digital assets to those digital identities, that too could accelerate the admission of issuers and investors to tokenized networks. So what do the regulators and central banks in your market think? You need to know. Eighthly, remember technology is not enough. Tokenization needs issuers and investors to provide liquidity. So invest in non-technology as well as technology, and especially in collaboration with firms that can bring issuers and investors to market, which is the ninth lesson. Collaboration and partnerships are a good idea. Successful tokenization initiatives are built not just on technology, but on mutually reinforcing networks sometimes sealed with shareholdings that span regulated market infrastructures, institutional and venture capital investors, service providers, banks, brokers, and fintechs. Clearstream, for example, came up with the original idea of HQLAX, but it's chosen not to monopolize it. Instead, Clearstream has broadened the membership of HQLAX to include BNY Mellon as a tri-party agent and agent lender, Goldman Sachs as a principal, BNB Paribas Security Services as a tri-party agent, and Citibank as a custodian, also involved are Commerce Bank, Credit Suisse, Euroclear, ING, and UBS. To take another example, look at the ecosystem that's emerging between SDX in Switzerland, the Japanese investment group, SBI, the Swiss digital bank, Signum, Sumitomo Mitsui, the Osaka Digital Exchange, and the enterprise blockchain company, R3. There is a 10th and final lesson that is the most important. And it's this, be true to your infrastructural character. What after all is an infrastructure? CSDs are happy to describe themselves and be described as financial market infrastructures without pausing to ask themselves what this means. A true infrastructure is a common means to many ends. Infrastructures are trusted, reliable, safe, secure. Above all, they are open. By building a national blockchain infrastructure, which others could use to develop token products and services, CSDs could stop waiting for tokenization to happen and actually do something to unlock the potential of tokenization. Examples of blockchain infrastructures exist already. One is the LAC Chain Alliance, led by the Inter-American Development Bank, provides a secure, open, transparent, zero-fee, public permission blockchain infrastructure for Latin America and the Caribbean. Alastria, a nonprofit established in Spain in October 2017, also runs 
an open blockchain network infrastructure used by fintech startups in Spain. Likewise, the European Blockchain Services Infrastructure, IBSI, aims to make it easier for consumers and businesses to access public services throughout the EU across national borders. KDPW in Poland, I mentioned a while ago, is going down a similar infrastructural path, and so arguably is the DTCC with its DSM platform for privately managed assets. And this infrastructure could be the most valuable contribution CSDs can make. The provision of a national market infrastructure for security tokens, just as CSDs today provide a national market infrastructure for securities. If CSDs can enable securities market participants to take part in tokenized markets without having to completely rebuild their internal systems, that could rapidly accelerate the adoption of tokens. It would also put CSDs in a position to recruit as clients all the fintechs which are building applications to support the security token markets. In fact, as a blockchain infrastructure provider, a CSD could create a whole new kind of network, one whose members source components from each other and use them to build new digital products and services, one whose members can access those digital products and services through a network app. It's a CSD version, if you like, of open banking or open finance. Openness, networking, these are the right ways for CSDs to think about how to respond to the challenge which tokenization sets for them. If we had had this conversation even a few months ago, it probably would have focused almost entirely on the threat to CSDs rather than the opportunity. It would have been all about how tokenization was going to disintermediate CSDs. Because in principle, as I said at the outset, security tokens on blockchains don't need any of the core services CSDs provide today, issuance, registration, settlement, custody, asset servicing. The question then was whether CSDs could find a new role for themselves when their old occupation was certain to be gone. The usual answer, which I'm sure many of you will remember, would be to govern or administer these blockchain networks, whether they were, particularly if they were private or permissioned ones, you could decide who would join the network, who could not, and you'd punish the wrongdoers. Well, I think that idea is probably dead now. The OMFIF survey I mentioned earlier found that 40% of those sovereign, supranational and government agency bond issuers, when asked, found they would, said they would be perfectly happy to issue their bonds onto a public blockchain. Think about that. The Ethereum protocol underpins the overwhelming majority of token issues. It's less than 10 years old. It's controlled by a handful of software engineers. It has suffered from a chronic inability to process significant volumes of trades. It's experienced fluctuations in transaction costs that have varied by a factor of 100 in the last five years. Yet now we find issuers like the EIB and CSDs like the DTCC are prepared to work with Ethereum, not just in experiments, but for real. The crypto world and the conventional world are converging. And they are converging because our entire economic way of life is now embarked on a series of seismic shifts that is changing the nature of capitalism. From a corporate economy to an ownership economy, from an intermediated economy to a peer-to-peer -peer economy, from large corporations controlling consumers to consumers controlling large corporations, from corporate control of data to consumer control of data, from the internet plus the cloud to the internet plus blockchain, from two forms of digital money, that's commercial bank money and central bank money, to two forms of tokenized money, CBDCs and stable coins. And last but not least, from securities to tokens. CSDs have a choice. They can be crushed by this transformation, or they can, by helping to make it happen, join the ranks of those who will gain the most 
from the transformation. CSDs could become the operators of the tokenized infrastructure that underpins the networks which knit together every part of the financial services industry, not just in your own country, but linking it to the financial services industry in every other country. The more I think about it, the less tokenization feels like the end of the CSDs, and the more it feels like the beginning of an entirely new and much more exciting and much more profitable future for the CSDs. After all, tokenized markets need what CSDs can provide. Central bank money, customer due diligence checks, safe custody, financing and lending, a common infrastructure. Above all, as Vipin said, interoperability, the links to other assets, other markets, other countries. So my advice to you is this in closing, don't wait for something to happen to you, make it happen for your owners, your users, and indeed your country and your market. Now with that, uh, it's time now for our, our panel discussion. Uh, and indeed the Q&A with the audience. I'd, I'd echo what uh, what Bipin said. Do please uh, submit your questions to our panelists. I'll begin by introducing our panelists. Uh, Chris Richardson is CEO at Percival Software, our sponsor today and a leading supplier of technology to CSDs. It's recently extended its offering, interestingly, from post-trade services to trading platforms. Andrea Tranquillini is the former CEO of ID2S, which I mentioned, the first blockchain-based CSD, but he's also a veteran of five European CSDs and is now an independent advisor to CSDs around the world. Mark Smith, and we're very grateful to him joining us so early from the United States, is the CEO and co-founder of Symbiant, the leading supplier of enterprise blockchain technology. Uh, Vic Arul Chandran is the co-founder of Nivora, which supplies technology that facilitates the issuance of tokenized securities. And as I said, in addition to our panelists, we do of course have you, our audience, so do please uh, submit questions and comments by using the Q&A or chat functionality at the bottom of your Zoom screens. Uh, I won't save any questions up to the end, but we'll, we'll simply answer them as we go along. Uh, so while you're thinking of, of searching questions, uh, I'd like to kick the discussion off with the panel by simply putting the big question. Um, and I'd like to start with you, Mark, just to check that your um, the coffee is coursing through your body and you're, and you're widely awake. Now, it is, what do you think of what I said? Is, is tokenization of securities primarily a threat uh, to CSDs or is it an opportunity? Uh, you can say both if you like, but uh, I'd be interested to know where you think the, the die falls. Well, first, thanks for having me. Happy to be here even this early in the morning. And I think, Dominic, you did an amazing job. That might be the most thorough representation of this conversation I've seen in the nine plus years I've been trying to have this conversation um, with as many people who will listen. So I, I, I will say all you have to do is look at history of technology, evolution of, of market structure to determine that the incumbents typically do not become the new deployers of paradigms that shift markets in, in major ways. I think if you look at some of the analogs of the past, things like matching technology, for example, the beginning of electronification of Wall Street, the introduction of ECNs and ATSs, you know, it tantamount destroyed the structure of traditional market making and specialists. They did not become matching engines. Matching engines supplanted that style of business. And there was new market structures and new opportunities that arose, but were dramatically different, like direct market access trading. So I think the concept of 
digitally native or blockchain native securities issuances and even unregistered, uh, unlisted securities issuance is the beginning of a, of a massive change in the way in which we think about all those functions you described that a CSD performs. I think the first thing we have to do is throw out the, the oxymoron of CSD if we're talking about an evolution into distributed systems, right? It's a BSD. It can't be centralized if it's on a distributed decentralized marketplace. So we have to first change our language in order to discuss what we really want to talk about. But I do believe that this is an existential threat to the structure of CSDs. What is limiting uh, the ability and, and the reason why it, these markets are still so nascent, so small, is because regulation prevents those who want to operate in a compliant fashion from really embracing this technology in every way possible to drive the market. So I think if you look at value, if you look at the what this new type of technology can do, the conjunction of distributed systems, a distributed database, and smart contracts, you come up with an answer that allows for not only the evolution of how these types of services are provided, but it opens up an opportunity for new entrants to the market to be able to provide these services in a much better way. So I think that, yes, this is an existential threat, but I believe that over the timeline, the biggest issue will be regulation. It continues to be regulation and clarity around that regulation. And most CSDs have a much closer opportunity with regulators to ensure that the, the pace of regulatory change is slow, if not at all, um, which then allows to maintain the positions that currently exist for CSDs, specifically the DTC in the US, for example. Thanks, Mark. Um, while I was talking, lots of questions were, were, were coming through from the audience anyway. And um, uh, John Falk has, uh, in a way, it's relevant to the point you made about how the financial markets have a way mark of throwing up new organizations to solve problems. He says, uh, for many countries, CSDs are relatively recent organizations recommended by the group of 13 and built in the 80s and 90s following the great settlement crisis of the late 80s. So and they're concentrating on equities and government bonds. Apart from the major CSDs, are CSDs really the right organizations to undertake experiments in new financial methods? I'm sure you've got thoughts on that, Mark, but Andrea, that's a natural question for you because you've been there, done that, something new. Uh, good, uh, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, yes, but I do think that the CSD represent uh, a cornerstone for the future of financial market. And I do believe that uh, in the context of implementation of DLT, they can play a different role. I think uh, the role of a CSD uh, in the context of a digitalized market shall evolve in becoming the um, uh, operational arm of the, super of the supervisor. I see with difficulty the regulators, the legislator give up on a function, on a central function. Of course, the DLT implies and bet the possibility of decentralized the, the execution of the functions, but I don't think that uh, uh, any regulator will accept the disappearance of the CSDs. So the CSDs will continue to be central in the supervisory function in terms of representing the golden node of a blockchain in, in the event or potential um, uh, um, lack of um, reconciliation will become the ultimate uh, reference uh, of uh, market information, will, will remain the ultimate market reference. So for in, in my view, CSD will continue to uh, exist 
um, yes, I mean, uh, is opportunity, it is an opportunity for them to evolve. I think the opportunity will be given directly by the regulators that if they follow what are the opportunities given by the technology, will give a new, the CSDs a new role. Just to be clear on that, uh, 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 Andrea, do you see the CSDs performing a, a sort of supervisory role about which I was rather negative in my in my remarks? So that's where what I, I think that uh, we need to leave with the fact that the technology allows um, uh, execu distributed execution of functions, right? So either we en end up in a situation in which uh, the role of the CSD completely disappears. Um, and these functions are distributed in a new con regulatory context, uh, context directly with the, what are today the market participants. I mean, most legislation inhibit, as we said before, the issuers or the investors to access directly to the market, but they need to, we need to have qualified, uh, authorized participants. So either this function is shared directly with the participants or the regulator especially in, uh, in, front, in light of a significant change like the one that can bring the technology, may give to the CSD an intermediary role, a role between the real supervisory authority and the market participants, allowing that certain functions that are previously centralized by the CSDs are performed by the participant, but under the scrutiny or under the silent participation of, of the CSD. I, I see more practical in light of the possibility of technology and the possibility of the regulator and the position of the regulator, this type of evolution than a complete disappearance. This is for me what you call, um, uh, um, uh, Dominic, you call rejuvenated. For me, rejuvenation of a CSD is, I mean, changing slightly its original scope and uh, accept leaving with the, the uh, what the technology allows. Okay, thanks, um, Andrea. Vic, perhaps I could bring you in just to, to pursue this, this conversation which, which John Falk has started. Um, Martin Watkins has given a very interesting response to him, which is that um, there are certain functions that benefit issuers and investors, hence they need to be performed. Um, I agree with you, I agree with John Falk. The question is whether we call the provider a CSD or not. The digitalization of financial markets challenges traditional demarcation uh, lines. Uh, John agrees with that, apart from those countries where the CSD is obliged by law or regulation to perform certain duties. So but to go back to, to John Falk's original question, you know, can we imagine CSDs becoming these revolutionary entities that uh, not just adapt their own businesses, but actually start to shape the way digital markets evolve? Is that a, is that a plausible uh, forward-looking view? And anything is possible. Um, I think from the issuance perspective and from the experience we have of working with a couple of large CSDs, there's certainly an opportunity for CSDs to partly embrace what innovation may come out from tokenizing securities and managing infrastructure for uh, the underlying infrastructure for, like, let's say, a tokenized future. But of course, there's two extreme ends of the case, right? One extreme end is a complete disintermediation of existing market infrastructure. Uh, but the other end is absolutely no uptake of blockchain. Of course, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And through some of the work we've done, we've seen that there are important, there are important needs um, for, for a CSD in the market. Issuers, I mean, as mentioned, right? Issuers 
dealers, paying agents, custodians, they need to access certain services that only a CSD at the moment can provide. And of course, how could a CSD provide those services in a future where more and more of the, um, let's say the management of securities can be done in a more automated way on a distributed infrastructure. And we're seeing them experiment, like you mentioned, DTCC, Euroclear, Clearstream. It's good that they are experimenting, trying to figure out how they can potentially enable a future. And we've also seen some regulatory changes and incentives, for example, in Europe, to also enable maybe technology firms and other infrastructure firms to experiment with tokenizing and trading securities on distributed infrastructure without CSDs be, having a key role there. So I think potentially the future is um, probably, probably CSDs will have a key role. I think I agree with Andrea, it'll probably be in a, in maybe in a more supervisory capacity where maybe they're providing some certain core services as part of a node or part of an application layer. Um, but it remains to be seen. There's still a lot that needs to be determined still. And for primary markets, for simple issuance of debt securities, for example, it's fairly straightforward. But when you get into complex instruments and secondary markets, there are some complex activities that CSDs uh, manage that we haven't seen blockchains be able to perform yet, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, Sebastian Gregory says, uh, legal frameworks underpinning the development of financial products will drive the evolution of financial market infrastructures and their regulatory frameworks. Replacing the buildings uh, without paying attention to the foundations would be unwise. Uh, central banks are setting the pace of change. I think if I interpret what Sebastian is saying correctly is that he thinks that uh, what is really going to govern the, the growth of these markets is, is actually um, is regulation rather than innovation and experiment. Chris, do you think that is um, a, a sensible view or do you think that technology has a kind of momentum of its own? Do we need to wait for the regulation to make things happen or can we make things happen on our own? A little bit of both actually what um, one signal has come through clear with this, this discussion so far is that um, there seems to be a general uh, a, a appraisal of the situation by the proponents of tokenization that uh, tokenization is the same thing as DLT maybe we don't know I mean that, that's not clear to me because I like to try and separate the technology from the actual um, service that you're actually trying to provide. Um, regulators are, by their very nature, conservative and should be neutral when it comes to technology. And again, neutrality is interpreted differently depending on, on, on where you're actually standing. Ah, I, I stand actually quite close to you know, medium-sized and smaller markets. And a lot of this investment that's going on at the moment in tokenization or, or the new technology, let's go blockchain technology, uh, it's being done by the more developed markets. They've got deeper pockets, but the smaller markets don't see any kind of return on investments for that. It's expensive, guys. Can't afford it. And people, you know, the, the, the real end users are not really interested in it. And the, the regulators are standing behind them. They're looking at you know, protecting the industry that's actually there because that's their nature. That's what regulators have to do. And, and to quite a large extent, those regulators are national regulators. There are exceptions, of course. The EU has a regulator that, that governs all the member countries. Well, yeah, let's not 
let's not open that can of worms just yet. But um, certainly, no. the, the other countries have got are, are very nationalistic and protectionist. Okay, Mark, um, what about those points, Chris? Made? You, you need to separate the technology and tokenization. In my mind, it's actually that the, the the technology is the tokenization. You're moving the actual. It's it's the code. You're moving the assets. You're not. This, this is an instance where the technology and the asset are not are the same thing, which is very difficult to price. I was my own thought about that. But what about that? And also about the Chris's point that it's very difficult for some of the smaller markets to afford to do this. Are they in the position of buggy whip manufacturers at the end of the nineteenth century who couldn't afford to get into the motor business? Or is it more complex than that? Can they buy solutions from people like you to, to make that transition much cheaper and easier? Well, certainly the technology is available in many different forms at many different price points. So I don't think that, that the cost is prohibitive in any way. As a matter of fact, I think the cost of not doing it is what's prohibitive in maintaining current systems, especially those licensed by those small jurisdictions. Those systems are very expensive. They're actually designed for much larger jurisdictions and are being crammed down into small jurisdictions to use it. At high price points. So I would argue that the new technology uh, actually can find a much less expensive route for those jurisdictions. But to get back to the original issue, which is tokenization without being on a blockchain or distributed ledger, however you want to put it, my question to Chris is, well, then what tokenization are you talking about? Because that's just, in my mind, dematerialized shares, uncertificated shares that we already have today managed by a central repository in the United States, United States. In order to get there, you have to surrender property rights. So I think that when we talk about this, we're talking about digitally native securities, native to a blockchain. So you cannot separate the technology from the structure because it is native and can only exist on that function. You cannot have a, a, a smart contract with determinism to, de to define ultimate beneficial ownership and remove re reconciliation unless it's issued natively to a blockchain. So first I'd ask Chris, define a tokenization that doesn't exist on a blockchain or DLT. So, Chris, go on. Well, that, that's your definition, not mine. You're defining it in such a way that helps your argument, but- No, I'm defining let, let, let's, it let, Let's look at it as what it actually so let, let me finish answering you. Let's, let's look at it in terms of what it does. What does tokenization do, this mysterious thing that a truly dematerialized security doesn't offer? What does it give? I mean. Replacing trust with truth. I mean, CSDs don't have a crisis of trust as far as I can see. Uh, I, in the United States, they do. Uh, GameStop will show you the crisis of trust. The Dole Food case will show you the crisis of trust. That's... AMC will show you the crisis of trust, right? It is a crisis in the United States for sure. And I can explain to you the difference. Well, that, that's token, not, a, with respect, that's not a crisis I, I, of trust. That's I'll a crisis the in the market. There's a problem in the market itself not in the recording of the assets and the recording settlement of those transactions. No, that was no, market is, manipulation. It, it is, that, that, no, that is where the trust has been broken, right? There is a rule in the United States that states how you borrow shares and then short those shares. That rule was violated, dramatically violated. No, no one was actually locating the shares to be shorted and the CSD was not counting from one to 100 appropriately and allowed 30 plus percent more shares to be created than actually existed, putting a threat to all shareholders. So That's a systemic I'll, problem in the US market that doesn't exist elsewhere. Systemic to the US market. And, but I'm explaining why that CSD, right, would benefit greatly from changing the way the market structure works. And I'll explain to you the difference between 
tokenization as you're describing it and digitally native. Tokenization is held in your mind in a central server where the trust remains in the CSD. That means that the counting that is done is not audited by anybody at all. The CSD is the sole trusted party. When it is issued onto a blockchain, it becomes mathematically deterministic. The math of the blockchain, the consensus protocol allows all nodes to consent to the state of that ownership so that you can guarantee who actually owns it and how many of these things actually exist. And you don't have to rely on a third party to reconcile against for you to trust that you're actually reconciling against the right number. You heads know up. the right number. Heads up. That's how almost every single CSD outside the USD, the United States of America operates. Every single one. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. are, they are dysfunctional the way the Americans think about settlement. You can, you can settle stuff that you don't have in the States. That's dysfunctional, guys. And Correct. it's not the CSD's fault. That's an infrastructural regulatory problem. Sorry. No, no. It's the CSD in the United States not abiding by the rules and regulations and not being forced to with a system that enforces it, which is a blockchain-based system with smart contracts. Possibly, but it's an American problem, not a worldwide or global problem. So you're participating in a round of consensus to all the, the potential owners of securities and CSDs around the world? Because if you are, then you're operating blockchains and, and this has already decided. It has been decided. CSDs have been disrupted. And they're now blockchains. Okay, well, which is it, Chris? Uh, which, which is it? Are they or are they not? I'm saying that the problem that you are describing is a very American problem. It doesn't exist outside the states. RCSDs don't work that way. So it, they are mathematically the determinate. Are... So you can't sell stock that you don't have. You can't settle stock you don't have. Could and I... how is that being determined and audited? Could I... In a centralized CSD. Can in a centralized I, system in which you now have trust rather than trusting math instead. But I, I, if I may, I think uh, that there is, um, there is uh, uh, a fundamental uh, interpretation, uh, difference interpretation of what we mean. I think tokenization is every, everywhere conceived as the conversion of a physical or electronic security into a digital one to enter into a digital environment. But Technology is used in a traditional way. So we don't leverage the technology for the, for the possibility that technology has. So what instead is digitally native belong to an environment itself is embedded. It doesn't come out, it doesn't come in from outside. So, and, and it has to be processed and managed in a completely different way. That's why we need to cover from a regulatory perspective, these new the operating dynamic, which is changed or has to change compared to the previous environment. So regulation cannot work in the same way, cannot be set in the same way if technology performs differently and allows functions to be managed, operated and distributed in a different way. That's where the, the regulation has to come, in my view. And I do agree with you, Chris, U.S. is is a one of a hell of a market. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, they they need blockchain for sure, but the rest of us not so much. We are mathematically determinate yeah. in, in in our settlement processes and systems. Well, listening listening to, to that to that um, discussion, I was I 
it seemed to me that what happened with with um, with GameStop is a is a breakdown in a in a basic CSV function of of protecting the integrity of the issue, uh, and it may be happening because the U.S. is the most advanced um, market in terms of of blockchain usage. But anyway, we, we should move on. I think it, what it raises in my mind is an interesting question about how um, how this transition is going to be made. We're not going to switch one day from securities markets to security token markets. It's going to be this long period of of interaction between technologies, between ways of raising money and trading um, and investing. And what's, what's, what is your advice, um, um, Chris, to, to the smaller CSDs that, that you work with? How should they, if they can't afford it, should they just, is your view they should just do nothing? Or are there some steps they can take? As the DCV is in Chile, um, taking steps to adapt its business model to something it thinks might might happen at relatively low cost? Um, or should they do nothing because the regulation's uncertain, the technology's uncertain, they've got no money anyway? Because a lot of CSDs listening from Amida who are in this, in this situation, what to do? What to do? I mean, come on. Before you can service something, you need to have a demand. They're looking for demand because they're looking for return on investment, however small that investment might be. Um, the other thing that, that hasn't come through in many of these discussions I've taken part in is that uh, CSDs are not brothers. Actually, there are two distinct families of CSDs. Uh, the, the technical term is direct holding and non-direct holding. You, you will hear that as um, that, that can be loosely described as name on register or beneficial owner level CSDs as opposed to omnibus accounts. And omnibus accounts are, are struggling. They actually, you could make more of a case from the investors and issuers perspective uh, for introduction of a more, a more open kind of, of CSD or settl settlement process that expose the underlying shareholders a little bit better. But uh, beneficial owner level CSDs are not, not in that category. They have already got that as part of their basic business model. And those guys are still struggling to find a business case to make their investment, however small that might be. So, and, and, and the two basic actors in any kind of capital market correctly identified by proponents of distributed ledger technology or blockchain technology are the investor and the issuer. Actually, the other way around, because we know which came first, chicken or egg in that case. Chicken has actually came, come first. That's the issuer. He's got to issue something that the investors subsequently can provide a secondary market for. Those are the only, only actors that matter in any capital market. Without them, you ain't got a capital market. So when they look at what's available in their country, list of investors who are, are, are knocking down the door, trying to get direct access to, to some kind of distributed ledger environment, and the issuers who want to issue tokenized access, there's like crickets. There's nothing there. They're not interested in issue, a typical issue, issue in a smaller market. He goes with an IPO. He gets his money to float his company or whatever it is he wants. After that, he's not doesn't really care. Again, it's not like the US market where a lot of, of attention is played to share price. It needs to go up constantly to keep investors happy. It's not like that. Most of those uh, companies are issuing regular benefits through corporate actions in the forms of dividends or bonus issues. So... And, and that that really doesn't rely on a distributed ledger environment for, to make that happen. 
there are no problems in that market that a DLT solution solves. So the CSDs are wondering, no, I'm going to wait and see what happens. I'm looking for a success. And so far, that, that kind of runaway success that's relatable to their market hasn't been forthcoming. Sorry. You don't think CSDs have any responsibility to look at this from a supply side perspective and actually make something happen as opposed to waiting <laughs> for demand to appear and then servicing it? No, that's not how they see themselves. They are guardians of the truth. Okay. Well, that's the way business works is supply side driven, I think. Possibly, but where's the supply? They are looking for it because they are motivated to try and increase their revenues. They don't see it. Okay. Um, Vipin's made an observation that the, the ASX case is, con is a concrete example of cost overrun and of the fact that DLT-based settlement systems are more expensive than book entry systems. That's point one. Second point he makes is the legal and regulatory framework requires CSDs to provide legal certainty to be liable if things go wrong. And I think I'm right to say that, in fact, um, some of these experiments uh, with central banks have proved you can achieve settlement finality, for example. Um, using blockchain, but but Vic, give us some 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 high level observations on that. Is is Vipin right to say that blockchain is more expensive, and that you c it can't accommodate uh, legal and regulatory certainty? And uh, what's your thought on those two two points, Vic? Interesting question, and and also the previous discussion. I think um, I, I saw during your presentation that you showed some statistics um, from some other use cases around cost savings, and I think. Um, there's two pieces of the puzzle, right? One is managing the issuance and then issuing either a tokenized security or as Mark said, a native asset on the blockchain itself. And the second part is how do you facilitate some complex interactions between that asset and other users? Like for example, trading, managing payments, events, et cetera. Um, from the work we did in the past, we found that most of the cost saving doesn't really come from uh, the tokenization part, but it actually comes from optimizing the creation and the interact, the creation of the instrument and the interaction of issuer, dealer, law firm, etc. In the issuance process, once that asset has been issued, either native or tr or traditional that's tokenized, there's then a bunch of other things that need to happen on the network itself, and that of course can be optimized and efficiencies can be brought in there. But that's less about issuance and optimizing issuance well sorry that's less about reducing the cost of issuance which it doesn't really do much and it's more about reducing the cost of managing the securities post 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 issuance um, and i think a lot of the improvements that we'll probably see over the next few years will come off platform on the issuance side sorry off blockchain on the issuance side but on blockchain um, in the secondary market side and the benefit, I think, of potentially issuing native assets would be, um, I think it was alluded to earlier as well, collapsing in Europe, the idea of legal and beneficial title. Because at the moment, the setup here is you've got a common depository. Generally, the common depository will hold the physical documents and legal title. And then the beneficial instrument gets distributed through the CSDs. Now, of course, there's such thing as safekeepers, which kind of mimics the US system. But if we can potentially collapse that on a blockchain network, that's where a lot of the efficiency could come from. And that's how we could potentially see CSDs moving to slightly different roles. Um, I think this is where it will bring a lot of benefits to more complex instruments in the future. By the way, Vic, do you, do you think I'm right to say that, that CSDs are credible providers of services to 
unusual asset class, some of these new things, particularly, I think, clearly in the case of privately managed assets. But what about things like fine art and fine wine and classic cars and, and wristwatches? And is there a role for CSD in these sort of asset-backed tokens? <laughs> um, it's a very good question. I don't know how to answer this without um, not being political. Um, I think I think it's difficult to it's difficult because there's there's a couple of challenges there. And without going into the rabbit hole on that one, if you're if you're tokenizing art, what does that really mean? I still don't understand it, honestly. What does it mean? You're scanning an object and then you're trying to create a fingerprint of that object, but that requires technology that's not on a blockchain. That requires equipment to scan it. And then you then you then then you need to create some kind of legal way of either tokenizing it or creating a legal structure on the network itself to make that instrument native, to make that asset native. That part, no, no need for a CSD at all. But if you then have potentially a pool of a large number of assets, uh, they just become, in the end, they just become pools of assets or securities, and they should be handled in any way, of, in a similar way that equity and debt can be handled. So, sorry, just so I understand you, if you have a cryptographic hash, which testifies to your ownership of a piece of the Mona Lisa, you don't need a CSD to safeguard your cryptographic hash. I mean, I, I, would, question, I would question the benefit of having that hash in the first place, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Secondly... Because it ties it to the original artwork. Let's say this is, this is a genuine... Um, well, how is the hash created? By an intermediary. Chris, <laughs> Chris is waving. Um, I think that's a red herring because any single token or tokenized asset is a representation of an actual thing that, that's owned and you have legal rights to. It's a manifestation of those legal rights. Now, if I own the Mona Lisa and it's sitting on my damn wall, that gives a level of enjoyment <laughs> that that can't be substituted. So, so that's just a specific situation, but the principle is still the same. It doesn't matter what it is that you're tokenizing, surely? Your subjective pleasure is increased by the fact you're able to sell it as well as have it on your wall. I think that's the answer. Quiet enjoyment, yes, but having it on your wall, you know damn well where it is. <laughs> it, it's different, come on. But th- 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 that's a red herring in terms of the discussion that we're having here. It's like it's like anything that you're representing. That, that, that a digital representation of it is is just that. It's a representation of a right. Pippin says there's no physical link between the object and the blockchain that records ownership. Okay. Correct. Uh, I, I don't want to enter in a territory which is probably more much more Mark's territory, but uh, uh, one of the concepts associated to the use of the DLT is the smart contract. So what? So is the benefit in the process execution that the technology brings? So if you have your Mona Lisa hanging on the wall and nothing happens with it, then Vic is right. What's the benefit? I'm simplifying, Mark. <laughs> so the question really is: If you want to securitize or fractionalize owner ownership of the Mona Lisa, that's the real question. So instead of just me owning the Mona Lisa. Let's say there's 10,000 of us that own the Mona Lisa. Now it is, those are securities, right? These are derivative securities from this, this single asset. And I would actually interestingly argue that when there is something physical like the Mona Lisa, 
you need a, a depository in which you can hold that because now you can't hold it on my wall. You can't hold it on Andrea's wall. You have to hold it in some safe location, right? Not Definitely not your wall, Chris. You have to hold it in some safe location. Right, and maybe, maybe it's, you know, like a free port, as we all know, where a lot of this fine art is currently held. Um, and in those free ports, those, that art is held and used, again, to borrow, to create cash flows off of. So if you're doing something like that, I would argue that's where a CSD might be the most important because you, you need someone. Now you have to have physical trust. Whereas paper certificates no longer need to exist. Digitally native securities can be issued directly to a blockchain without the need for central trust. And smart contracts facilitate and execute against the terms and conditions of those instruments. And so one of the big reasons I think Dominic hit the nail on the head in his presentation was he identified unregistered securities or private securities okay. and debt securities as the two mm -hmm. places in which the early evolution of this technology, I won't call it disruption because we're going to see who becomes enabled and empowered, and we're going to see who becomes disrupted because that's what happens in all new markets. Some mm -hmm. side decides to be enabled and takes advantage and the other doesn't uh, and probably falls by the wayside. This is called the innovator's dilemma. And that's where CSDs live right now in the innovator's dilemma. What to do? This is a dilemma. Is this new technology going to usurp my current business or can I use it to reinvent myself to be some, become something more important and more powerful? So I see that in, in those areas where again, tokenization, where you just have a digital representation of ownership held by a CSD, doesn't allow for the sophistication of how smart contracts operate where you have multi-party execution mm. of the instrument itself. So in the form of an ABS, for example, the issuer, as we pointed out, is the ultimate of importance because the issuer can say, okay, I want to structure this as a true smart security. I want to enable the cash flows in a two-tranche waterfall and a three-year you know, ABS bullet to pay out without any middle and back office intervention. I want to distribute these securities across a distributed network in which I can have a peer-to-peer -peer way to determine price point allocation, right? Distribution, so I don't need book runners anymore. And now as an investment bank, I don't need to take that issuance onto my balance sheet and incur that balance sheet it and principal risk. I can act as agent through the distribution of the security into a network in which asset managers then can buy those securities in a direct issuance way. And then, at least in the US, you can use a broker or custodian as a good settlement location, removing the need for the CSD in a private issuance, and also allow for using technology for what we call multi-signature so that the asset manager can actually have property right ownership, not, not contractual, you know, ownership of this particular instrument, hold it in their own account. I'm not even going to use wallet. I'm just going to use account and have their custodians have a cryptographic key, which has to be invoked in order to transfer that to abide by in the U.S. for the act fund rules as it relates to custodial oversight. So now you've been able to reimagine the issuance process, maximize the use of the technology and bring property right ownership back into markets. You cannot do that by using a CSD in the, in the tokenized format that Chris was describing. You must have that in a distributed decentralized format. 
You must have the actors as part of that network and the technology acting autonomously. Okay, then I do accept the fact of the distribution of the ownership of the Mona Lisa, but if you trust me, I will have it on my wall. Martin Martin Watkins has made an interesting observation on this question about the Mona Lisa. He says, from recollection, Sikovam, the the old name of Euroclear France, the French CSD, held fine art as a CSD in 1949. Tokenization, fractionalization of fine art supports it being held at CSDs as fungible securities. So um, Martin would know he's building a a CSD, so you have to think about these things, Um, a digital CSD. Um, I'd like to ask all of you um, what you think of my idea um, about uh, CSDs building a, a national blockchain infrastructure. Before I do, I'd like to ask what you think about um, CBDC being the crucial trigger for the takeoff of these markets. And, and Sebastian Grebery made a second observation here. He says, I, he says, I don't see central banks caving into DLT innovators the way taxi regulators did with Uber or the hospital or fiscal administrations and hospitality business regulators did with Airbnb. But the good news is central banks are rising up to the innovation um, and they'll even compete globally. As regulators, central banks matter most of all as financial markets all boil down to the business of money. The rest of the structure will ultimately adapt to the central bank. In other words, central banks feel threatened by some of these developments in, in payment tokens. So they're going to want to seize control, but at the same time, they want to kind of control what happens next. So in a way, they're both against what's happening, but very much in favor of it and a crucial um, enabler of it. Or so I think, am I right to to think that, Andrea? Is central bank digital currencies the the key trigger? Well, uh, yes, but not only, I think. Um, There is a legitimate um, uh, suspicion from the regulator and, uh, and the central banks, uh, European Central Bank in Europe, for example, uh, that uh, the market will want to evolve from the use of proper money into the use of uh, Bitcoin, which is, has no fund- foundation. So I think that the regulator is very conservative in, in, in this respect. That's why all the models that, are, that have been studied, and uh, in particular in France, uh, which has been the only central bank in Europe which has uh, consistently worked on, on the concept um, of uh, central bank digital currency is conceives a currency which is fully collateralized with uh, the underlying uh, traditional currency. It's not only because I do believe that uh, the, the, the regulatory aspect remain a, a, an important one and the regulator must um, see what, is, what the technology is capable for to reshape the, the regulation properly. And I, if we look at the monster which has been uh, given birth in Europe in the recent months, uh, this is exactly where regulators shouldn't go, in my view, because this will inhibit the entrance of newcomers and uh, will facilitate uh, uh, the, the current structure. And uh, most of all, um, with the limitation that they put to the uh, um, to the use of the technology, um, lack of volumes will inhibit uh, entrance of the newcomers to the point of Chris earlier. Right. So the, the European regulators have had a negative impact because they are kind of restricting the yeah. new entrance in the CSD business to grow as fast as makes a viable business case for them by putting those caps in the pilot regime on 
on how not, not only not only at the moment in which they do not accept that they, that uh, in uh, the usage of DLT guarantees the level the same level of legal certainty so the settlement finality is not guaranteed as in T2S then of course you you kill the business you don't have people issuing in that environment or you're obliging anyway settlement to be performed off chain not on chain that's why I think uh, from my perspective the most promising initiatives are outside the EU. Okay, we we need to I, I need we need to stop this discussion about in about 10 minutes so that Bipin can make his his closing well, Chris that wanted to compliment probably or disagree. Chris, you wanted to say something? Yeah, just just to present to put on my central bank hat or what I imagine uh, central banks would think about this, you know, and not just the EU, that's that's kind of a special case, quite unusual, but um, central bank is responsible for administering fiscal policy in a country that they, they, they don't want independent unlinked global currencies like I don't know Ethereum and Bitcoin and stuff like that. That mm, that that will never ever be allowed. I don't understand why technically they they have problems with uh, finality. If the things on the chain <coughs> and, it, and it's truth opposed to trust. What, what what's the problem with finality? Speed could be a problem, and and any any uh, central bank digital currency, if they're going to offer settlement services, needs net settlement for a multi-party simultaneous net settlement to zero. Because if you're going to coexist for any kind of period with the classic market, sure. DVP is at level of the intermediary, so you need to provide that. So far, I, I don't know, maybe the, their efforts, but the, I mean, the standards arena for it is a mess. It's totally I, I, think that, I, I think that the, the role of, I mean, there was no criticism in, in, in saying what the, the, the central banks do and have to do, actually. For me, it's, it's a matter of fact. So they, they act this way. So uh, I, the concept of, uh, uh, so non, not recognizing that in D on DLT, uh, you can perform settlement finality exactly as you're doing on, tra on traditional technology, I think uh, is probably an early mistake due to the initial lack of knowledge of the possibility technologies can bring. I think that with a deeper uh, analysis uh, and better knowledge of the possibility, also in terms of reorganization of the activities that the technology bring, this obstacle can be removed because for us this is pretty straightforward right it's, it's just uh, you, you set if you want to have a, a formal csd you set a golden node and things remain as they are <laughs> that's just uh... if, if i might add to that um, just the last piece on that if if we're to start driving adoption of native issuance of tokenized securities that can settle on chain we absolutely need a payment leg that can be conducted in a yeah. in a fiat currency, whether that's how that structure works, it remains to be seen. But I think we're seeing, for example, efforts by Finality to tie into a central bank's account so that yeah. once a settlement happens on one network, the payment leg can be conducted on a network that ties into something like an omnibus account. Yeah. Without that payment leg, we're going to be stuck talking about stable coins and commercial bank money only used for security transactions. The finality example is, is, the, is the top one these days. It's the one that works best. Yeah. Yep. We're talking about finality without an I here, the omnibus. Yeah, finality, yes. Okay, so um, 
we're hoping to, to publish some material about that for anyone listening um, fairly shortly. Um, since we've only got uh, uh, about seven minutes left, um, Mark, could I tempt you to give me a view on, on the proposal I made at the end of the presentation that actually a natural role for CSDs is to build national blockchain infrastructures. In other words, provide a playing field on which lots of entrepreneurs and innovators can at relatively low cost start to develop apps, if you like, um, by piecing together components from other members of the network to build whole new financial applications. Does that make sense for, particularly for the smaller markets of the type that, that Chris was referring to? So if you think, if you start to think about finance, like we think about every other technology, and we think about platforms, right? iOS's, your OS, whatever that is, a financial operating system makes sense, especially in new emerging jurisdictions in which they don't have a lot of this legacy problem. Right? When we talk about costs, one of the biggest costs is the existing legacy infrastructure and how much do you have to maintain in order to embrace new technology. And that's that's true across all, all type of technological advancements. So I think the, the concept of a dynamic CSD, and I think this is where Chris Riceley points at the, and, and Andrea rightly point out, the US is very different than a lot of the rest of the world and that CSDs in Europe are private companies competing to do things for a profit. Whereas in the US, it's a utility in which is, 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 is a cabal of existing institutions that doesn't have a mandate for profit. It has a mandate to maintain the power stroke system in which currently exists. So if you look at technology and any type of technology historically, the evolution of that technology is when a platform arrives in which innovation can occur in a way in which all participants can benefit from access to that platform. So if you define CSDs as creating national market infrastructure or national or even beyond that global infrastructure in order to innovate and create new types of, of applications and and take advantage of new types of technology to improve markets. I think that's a that is a very very high priority uh, should be for these types of institutions. So I could see that evolving in that way as a OS for finance as a utility that all could use. Uh, unfortunately, in the largest market domains, that's not going to be an opportunity at all, and it's going to take some pretty aggressive competition at the edges of different products and services that aren't forced by a regulatory regime to exist in the way CSDs exist today. And when you're not forced into that, again, unregistered securities, you can innovate a lot more freely, demonstrate the value and the efficacy of the technology and the new structure of securities promulgated in a new format in order to then demonstrate how you can further enable and empower changes for the deeply rooted structures that we have in the largest markets, which are public markets. Thanks, Mark. Andrea, what do you think of that idea? An operating system for financial markets, particularly in developing economies. You're on mute. You need to unmute yourself. I, I think that uh, um, an initiative coming from, uh, uh, from infrastructure or from uh, uh, or together with the, the regulator is probably the, uh, the, the, best, the best option because the regulator has to be aligned with the infrastructure. Infrastructure has to be uh, aligned with the regulator. But it's not going to be necessarily a success factor. Success factor is going to be how many participants you're going to have, how many really real volumes you're going to create, uh, how much liquidity you're going to have, what is, how is going to work the secondary market. Mm -hmm. um, my experience, my previous experience shows that uh, 
uh, as you pointed out, it was not the technology was an issue, it was adoption by users. So if you don't have a secondary market, uh, it's true that uh, we are used to have to buy bonds and to keep them in our pocket without necessarily the, uh, reselling them. But an asset manager shapes his portfolio based on risk and the possibility to sell his assets. So if you cannot do it because nobody's on the platform, that's where it, that's is that this incentive to the issuer to be there. Okay, liquidity drives uh, issuers. Vic, um, we're down to our last couple of minutes now, but uh, what do you think of the idea of, uh, of CSDs developing national blockchain infrastructures, the operating system, as Mark called it? I think they should certainly experiment, um, but I think it's also important for some of these efforts to be driven outside of CSDs. Uh, what, what I know from speaking to a number of firms in the market, I think one of the concerns right now is how far up the value chain CSDs potentially want to go leveraging blockchain as a potential new service that they're supplying. And I wonder in the future how regulators might look at this as well if CSDs start to encroach on the business of other firms. So I think it's good that they're experimenting, really good for the market. I think it's also important for some of this experimentation to happen outside of CSDs. Okay, Chris, a, a last word from you, which should, and, and Vic's, what Vic says prompts a thought in my mind. I spent some of last week at the ISSA event in, in Madrid. And one of the big ideas I carried away from that is that too many people are looking at this potential step change in, in, in the technology which supports securities markets from the point of view of how they used to look at things in the past. It's like we must automate it, make it more efficient, cut the cost. But actually what you ought to be doing maybe is actually totally rethinking what you do from first principles and asking, well, we've, we've, we've ended up with this legacy, as Mark says, um, but if we, were, if we were starting afresh, would we do it that way? And should we think about doing these things in a wholly new way? And it's in that context, it strikes me that maybe CSD is building blockchain infrastructures, which allow the sort of non-CSD people Vic's referring to, to experiment on top of this low cost, solid, reliable, stable, secure infrastructure could be a way forward for some of the, the smaller CSDs listening to this conversation. Yes, I mean, it's almost self-evident and, and you need experimentation, to have, uh, but it costs. Someone still has got to be brave enough to put their, their money on the line. Currently, that, that's a game that only the rich players can do. I mean, let's look at it the other way around. Let, let's say that the legacy was the other way around and we had uh, this distributed ledger. That's how it evolved. That's how it came up. And someone said, you know what? Let's centralize this. We can do this much faster. And yeah. We can, and we can still provide a direct service to shareholders. I mean, look at it from that perspective. It's not actually clear which way you'd go. Some, someone who's centralized the technology, and so, sorry, Mark, but it, it is what it does. So if I can provide exactly the same service to the market from a practical point of view, pair to pair, allow direct democratization at the investor level, then yeah, of course. Okay, Martin Watkins has made an interesting point. What's the panelists' views on CSDs providing AML KYC for the market? Sadly, mm -hmm. we don't have to, time to comment on that, but I, I've often thought that uh, producing digital IDs is a natural, national digital IDs is a natural um, uh, revenue source for, for CSDs. So sadly, Martin, we can't talk about that now, but um, we'll be coming back to it, I'm sure. I think we must leave the discussion there, so I give Vipin time to, to make some closing remarks. But if you'd like to learn more about... Uh, 
uh, about what we've discussed today. We will be publishing um, my presentation and the full discussion on the Future of Finance website. We're also incidentally going to publish a white paper which will go into more detail with some of the things which I raised in my own presentation and that will be available on our website shortly too. Uh, I'd like to thank our panelists, Chris Richardson particularly from Percival Software, our sponsor, uh, Andrea Tranquilini, uh, Mark Smith from Symbian, particularly Mark for getting up so early to be with us, uh, and Vic, um, we missed your cat, but thank you uh, for joining us. And thank you also to, to you, the audience, for all your questions and comments. Our next webinar is actually very soon, Wednesday this week, to be specific, 18th of May, and it's about one of the subjects we talked about today at some length, namely CBDCs. Are central banks thinking radically enough about CBDCs? Do join us at two o'clock London time on Wednesday if you can. And with that, I'd like to hand back to... Uh, to to Chris, you wanted you wanted to make some comments, or or you're just waving goodbye. Okay, um, uh, Vipin, some closing remarks from you. Yes, very very brief. So thank you, thank you, Dominic, Chris, Andrea, Mark, and Vic, and of course Wendy from Future Finance and Reham from Amida for the logistics. I think that we have learned a lot uh, on the impact of tokenization and CSDs, but I still see more questions than answers. So I guess that we should continue to explore and experiment until the cost effectiveness of DLT compared to book entry system is proven. I think I am a trained engineer, a scientist, so I, 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 I like to look at empirical evidence before, before accepting anything as, as effective. So I think it is important um, to, to prove and to experiment. And of course, I think, uh, I think, I think there are a lot of uh, projects going on uh, in the world, and, but, but, but the answers are, are, are taking time to, to be firm. So let us continue to, to, to explore and, and continue these, these type of interactions. I think this is what will eventually uh, allow us to, to move in, in, a, in, a, in a general consensus, consensus as where we should be going. So thank you again. So the presentation will be available to all attendees. And thank you all for, for attending this, this webinar. Thank you, Vipin. Um, and with that, I think we'll say goodbye, um, both to the audience and to our panelists, Mark, Andrea, Chris, Vic. Thank you all very much. <laughs>